Hey everyone, welcome to Go To Wolf Radio. It's Jerry Scarlato. Today, I have a conversation with fellow fitness entrepreneur, Mark Fisher. He is the owner of Mark Fisher Fitness up in New York City. For those of you who are not in the fitness industry, which is probably most people listening or watching this, Mark Fisher Fitness was in the Inc. 500 for a number of years in the early 2000s. And if you don't know what the Inc. 500 is, it is a list of the fastest growing companies in America. So needless to say, Mark Fisher Fitness, or MFF, it is, as it is usually called, um, it has some backing to it. Mark also has a coaching business called Business for Unicorns. And if you look at Mark Fisher Fitness, you'll understand why their coaching business is called Business for Unicorns. I strongly suggest that you look into both of those businesses. So uh, the conversation is just so great. I'm not going to sit here and babble about it because I just want you to listen to it. So go enjoy this conversation with Mark Fisher. What I want to talk to you about first is identity. Uh, so I was recently listening to a podcast that you and Michael Keeler, your business partner, um, did on business for unicorns. That's the name of the podcast too, as well. Huh? Yep. The podcast, the episode itself was on growth mindset, but you mentioned, and I'm not saying, I don't think that this is exactly how you put it, but this is kind of how I translated it, that there are three environments that affect our identity. Do you recall that particular conversation? I can remind you of the environments if you need them. I have a feeling you don't need a reminder. Um, I'd like to dig into those environments a little bit because like I said, before we started the conversation, like identity is, I believe what holds a lot of us back from achieving almost anything in life, whether that's better health and fitness, whether that's better, you know, in our business, whether that's better in our career. So if we can understand where our identity is, morphed and how it changes and how in our identity from other people, I think we can do a better job of adapting it along the way. Yeah. So first, I, I really appreciate this question. So for a little bit of context for the listener, and I'm making a note of this, that I should write a blog for this for MFF. You know, as Jerry mentioned, this is for my other business, Business for Unicorns, which mainly focuses on coaching consulting on the business of running gyms. And I'm excited to talk about this because I think this is also important no matter what sort of change you're looking to create in your life, which is being thoughtful about which of the, the way the environment you're in are impacting you in obvious and sometimes not so obvious ways. So the three environments, as I think about it, are you have your social environment, which is to say, who are the people you're spending time with, right? Because we swim in social waters. One of our core adaptations as humans is to be constantly looking around us to understand social norms. And we are all, um, even the most strident contrarian individuals, are susceptible to the mores of whatever community we exist in. So it is a little bit trite, but the first of all my literature, as they say, probably true, that in some ways you could say you're the sum of the five people you spend the most time with. So when we think about who we want to be in the world and we think about what behaviors we, we want to have be a regular part of our life, I think it's a good diagnostic to think, okay, well, who am I spending my time with, right? And I realize that gets a little touchy, particularly in the fitness space too, because you often find yourself in this challenging situation where you are questioning, does this mean I need to not hang out with my friends from high school anymore? And I, I'm not saying one way or the other. I'm just saying that it's having an impact on you and ultimately you're the best person to decide what's right for your life. So at the very least, you should just be aware of that dynamic. 
A second environment that impacts us. So first we have social, right? The people. The second is your attentional environment. So these, this is the information that you're consuming, right? So we can think of this as any kind of media, whether it be uh, the, the TV shows you watch, the movies you watch, the platforms where you get your news, the social media you spend your time on, time on the podcasts you listen to, the books you read, the magazines you read. Once again, you are being shaped, pushed and pulled by the various media that you consume. Again, I don't mean that in a prescriptive way. I just offer to you that you should at least be considering that this is happening because sometimes I genuinely think that similar to your social systems, maybe not quite as profound of an impact, they can push and pull you in ways that you may or may not like, that may or may not be in line with your values and your expressed goals. And then finally, so we have the social environment of the people, we have the intentional environment of the media. The third environment is your physical environment, right? So this is the most literal definition of environment. And once again, we are getting pushed and pulled by that. Now, uh, when I think about this in the business space, usually what I'll offer to people is if you want to think clearly about your business, the best thing you do is get out of your business. You want to think differently. You want to expose yourself to different physical environments. You will think different, right? And there's something to be said for, I believe, even the way a space is designed and structured, whether it is or is not aligned with what facilitates your brain for doing better creative work. From a fitness perspective, the most obvious impact here, which I think is a hugely underappreciated element of behavior change that the people often overlook is what's in your kitchen? Like what's in your fridge, right? Like have you set up your home, your house, your physical environment in a way that is supporting and helping you make it easy to do the right thing? Or is it making it hard to resist doing the quote unquote wrong thing? And wrong is maybe not the right word because I don't, I don't wish to value judgment on it. But if you know, for instance, you're really committed to life of fitness, you're looking to lose 10 pounds, maybe you have a physical, maybe you're looking to improve your biomarkers and you're thinking, gosh, I really, I really want to, you know, be able to walk my granddaughter down the aisle at her wedding. I really want to like, you know, I have a certain age thing. I really want to be there for my family. And well, if you know, you're trying to make those changes, but you're filling your cupboards full of things that are not going to facilitate your goals. You've now made it hard to do the right thing, right? I would even offer even when you're deciding, let's say, what your solution is for fitness, right? Is there a world in which you can lubricate to do the right thing, right? Now, I mean, that's not explicitly like the, the environs of my house per se, but doing things like, is your fitness solution you've chosen actually logistically doable for you? Is it viable? Or did you make this decision in a fit of optimism with hope springing eternal and in a bout of wishful thinking, you committed something that really wasn't going to work for you anyway, right? You know, I think I'll give one other pro tip in there, uh, well, I think, which is uh, to some extent an example of this phenomenon is, you know, let's say you're somebody that struggles to work out in the morning. My God, one of the easiest things you can do is reduce that activation energy. Just you're in a sweat in it anyway. Just go to sleep in the sweatpants you're going to work out in. Have your shoes unlaced and ready to go by the door. Make your, uh, your environment facilitate you doing the right thing, right? Because you have control certainly in who you expose yourself to. And you have control of what media you expose yourself to. But I would make the distinction, those two environments, you can't actually control what the people do, right? You can choose what people. You can't really control what's going to come at you through social media or the news apps. And I guess with social media, to some extent, you can control who you follow and who you don't. But your environment, particularly if you're a grown person, um, and again, maybe there's navigations if you live with other people, you have a lot of influence over how that space is set up and whether it's going to facilitate you becoming who you want to be. That's really good. I, I think the saying is buy your willpower at the store. 
Um, yeah, 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 yeah. I love that. That's like that's like the ultimate saying, right? And then I, I, I think that one's greatly underappreciated as well. Just like just setting yourself up for success, not having the stuff in the cabinets, the putting the shoes by the door before you go to bed, setting, putting your meal together for lunch tomorrow, the night before, instead of trying to scramble and get out the door as fast as possible. And then going, Oh, well, I guess I have to stop by whatever to grab lunch. So, yeah. So that's, that is absolutely underlooked there. I think they're all, I think most people can grasp the attentional part, maybe don't pay as much to the social part as they could. Um, so I found this interesting. I did, uh, I found a research study. They looked at the content between 1900 and 1950, and they were seeing the, the change in the demeanor about aging and what the content was reading. And what they found was from like 1900 to 1930, 1935, before World War II, most people who wrote about aging were people who were aging. They were the people who were going through the process. They were the people who were actually living the experience. And it was a very positive outlook. And it was very, yet here's the strengths that come from it. Here's some of the weaknesses as well, but like, here's how you fight through it. And then after World War II, it started to change and shift. And suddenly people who were aging became people with issues and diseases. The medical history, they, came, they became people with a medical history Medical people started writing about uh, aging and all of a sudden it became, well, here's all the problems that you get with aging. And now that's like our main mindset around aging is that we get all these diseases, we're decrepit, we're diseased, and here's what we should expect when we age, not here's all the vibrant things that can happen. And that happened because here's all that happened because of a shift in the content that was being sent out to the world. That's, that's a very interesting uh, perspective. Yeah, I, I'd be curious if, if you would remember to maybe send that me afterwards. I'd be curious to look into that. It's, you know, it's funny. I'm, so I'm 43 now, and I suspect some of our listeners are younger and some are older. I'm, I imagine I'm probably like right smack in the middle. And something I have been doing really intentionally of late that I think is a good best practice for anyone is finding models and virtual mentors uh, people that did their best work in their 70s, their 80s, their 90s. You look at people like, you know, name a few like Warren Buffett, Charlie Munger, Benjamin Franklin. And he was like, I was like killing it. Like his mid 80s, he did his best work. Now, the reality is there do seem to be different intelligences and different skill sets that correlate with different part of one's life. And, you know, I think it's a great point. I think our society tends to overvalue some of the admittedly unique advantages that come with age, the, the youth, the beauty, the energy, the pliability, but there's also subtler forms of skill sets. Uh, most notably, there's a, a concept I've recently become aware of recently called, I think it's called uh, crystallized intelligence, I think is the term. Um, in fact, the book I haven't read yet, but it's literally just arrived over there on my bench, a gentleman named Arthur Brooks who often writes for uh, The Atlantic, and the book is called Strength to Strength. And essentially the premise is, like, look, as you age, you're just gonna have different sets of superpowers. The move is not to desperately hold on to the fading of the superpowers that were unique and most weighed in that era of your life. The move is to allow yourself to leverage these new skill sets that you're developing. I think that's a very important part of psychological hygiene that everybody would benefit from. And of course, you know, I'll just say briefly when we think about fitness, 
kind of the same thing, you know, like you, you, the body doesn't have to fall apart completely. There's going to be wear, there's going to be tear. Listen, you're training a lot. You're going to get bumps. You, we all have some genetic hands we were dealt that were maybe not a hundred percent perfect, but my gosh, we, this is the greatest time ever to be alive. We know more than we've ever known about really taking care of the inputs now. And anybody listening, you know, assuming you're not, if you're on the other side and already doing it, amazing. I salute you. It's never too late to start. But for those of us youngins, you know, only in our 40s or maybe only in our 50s, my God, what a great opportunity. We've got decades to put in these positive inputs that are going to compound over time. And I just, I just feel so excited and grateful to be living this era. And I, I know there's going to be, obviously, oh, I hope tons more we've learned. You know, my daughter is just one years old. You know, I hope she's going to easily live to be 100 with an incredible quality of life. But I'm very excited about the way the, the industry is moving. And, and uh, you know, I hope to, in my own small way, contribute to, I think we were alluding to here, is like, how do we change societal definitions of aging? Because, you know, we give each other what we lack as a society, right? I think it's a ruling model I have of the world. That's why I like conflict. It's why I like diversity of thought. It's why I like in people. I'm most interested in talking to people that disagree with me and that are willing to have a really, like, let's swing at each other as hard as we can and fight to, like, improve each other's thinking. Um, and one of the types of diversity of thought, you know, I think uniquely comes the longer you've been around, you know, and you know, again, you know, maybe my own bias, I'm getting, uh, as I keep joking a little bit to the get off my lawn part of my career, perhaps, but um, yeah, I'm excited about the, the future ahead. I hope to, I hope to leverage this sweet spot where I got a little bit of youth in the left, but now I got a little bit of age coming in here. I'm going to give you saucy seasoning to share with my communities. Very nice. I don't see any grays like hanging out in that hair though. I got this whole like chin strap going, you know? I know. Actually, that is a weird thing. I'm not sure why I have almost no grays, which is very strange. But I imagine they're going to come and come quick. And I, I'll welcome every gray, every wrinkle, and uh, I will be training my ass off. <laughs> Doing all the right stuff. Um, so that's very, I, I love that passion behind that. Congratulations on the daughter, by the way. That's, that's fantastic stuff. She's actually, I apologize if the listeners can hear her. She's literally under my desk right now playing in my dog's bed and making cute sounds and laughing at me super cute no worries at all um so that is something that again we talk about our demographic here at thrivology at the training facility is between really i would say 45 and 60 and a lot of our members are over 60 years old we actually just completed a tough mutter about 10 days ago at this point, we had 47 people signed up for it. Of that 47 people, again, the average age of the group was probably 50 years old uh, of 47 people doing a Tough mutter. Yeah. So we had a 72-year-old there. We had five other people over 60 there. And we did eight weeks of training leading up to it. And like the, I had to keep telling them. I had to keep telling them. And of course, it's easy coming from me, only 39 years old, just turned 39 like last week or something like that. So like, I heard that. Thank you. I appreciate that. So, you know, I think they respect me enough to like understand that I, I work with enough people to be able to see like it, it's, it is what you get. It is what you expect out of it. If you expect decrepity out of your, out of your body, like that's what's going to end up happening. And the more that we can just push people, push people maybe is not the right word, um, gently nudge people to understand like, yes, gentle, gentle pressure relentlessly applied is what my dad likes to say. Um, just 
keep, keep nudging them in a direction to help them understand that you can do more with your body than what society believes we're capable of. So that's, yep, that's great stuff. Um, time management. So another thing that I started to dive into about five or six years ago was time management. And it was again, thanks to a time management workshop that I came to with you in Chicago, I believe. I think that's where it was. I don't remember precisely. At any rate, um, that's when I really started my own journey into figuring out how to make the most of my time. And I think one of the biggest ex excuses, if I can use the term, that people make when it comes to health and fitness, it is time. I don't have the time. So I don't know where to start the conversation, but I think that that is something people can start to understand. I, maybe it's worth starting with is time management what we actually think time management is. Um, gosh, well, I guess it depends on what one thinks <laughs> it is. Um, I mean, I think it, it's worth mentioning that, of course, we can't actually manage time. We can only manage ourselves. The time is a non-renewable resource, which is to say that you can get more money and you can even get more energy to some extent, but you just can't get more time. Once time is gone, that's it. Um, as far as how this intersects with fitness, yeah, you know, and, and listen, this is where you kind of get into some value conversations. So once again, not meaning to be prescriptive here, but just to observe and reflect that how you spend your time is probably the most important reflection of what you value. And most humans, and I, I'm just, and I count myself in that number, I think if we're being very rigorous and we really are tracking our time in a really, truly rigorous way, most of us would likely become aware of some dissonance between what we say we value and how we're showing up. Right. So now, listen, I also want to make space for depending on your season of life. And believe me, again, I get, I'm kind of in the messy middle here, right? You get the you know, aging parents on one end, you got the kids on the other end, you're running a business, you want to have some time for your social life, you want to enjoy the fruits of your labor, you're still long enough to be travel and active and do all those things. At the same time, these are your prime, uh, both money making and, and contribution years. I think we've just discussed how we, you know, guys like you and I are actually thinking, like, yeah, I'm actually about a, third of it. I got another 40 to 50 years of this. So for anyone listening, that's feeling like, ah, oh, no, I, I really, I just, I cannot, I cannot fit anything else in. You know, I want to say like, I see you and, and like the reality is like, there's a season where you're not going to have tons of ability to do this. The thing that I would, you know, maybe advocate for anyone listening to feel stuck in time is finding some time, right? Because, you know, a lot of the research suggests pretty minimal dose of exercise. You're going to get a lot a lot of impact like the minimum effective dose is like real low i think you know for people like us that work in the industry and really want people not just to survive but to thrive you know yeah obviously i prefer probably uh, up to a point probably see you working out more rather than less but i think the key thing for people to understand i think this is probably a public health messaging that the fitness industry is maybe actually not done a great job with is that a little devil do you a little something something if you go from doing nothing sitting on the couch you know, it's, it's, you know, not probably in our economic interests, like, cause I can't, you know, you're not going to pay me money to, you know, I guess be my walking accountability club. And maybe that's a good idea and I should do that. But if you just start walking aggressively, you know, for 10, 20 minutes, a few times per week, if you just start finding ways to just get more movement in your day, my gosh, like that's, that's going to be a big 
piece of this, right? And the other thing that's nice about exercise, and you know, we'll speak maybe a minute nutrition here, is unlike nutrition, even to some extent sleep, even if you want to go all in, you know, in most cases, like five hours for a lot of people is going to be plenty. Like if you want to like super optimize, obviously there's people that like go all in 10, 12, 14 hours. I think that's impressive. But frankly, I'm in the game. Even for me, that's not going to work out because when I look at my values, like I got some time for my baby that is like crawling under the desk right now and grabbing my ankles and I'm loving every second of it. But I think most people can probably eke out some time for fitness. Now, I, I think I'm going to pull up there uh, and give you a moment if you want to jump in with clarifications or reflections because admittedly, nutrition and sleep is a, is a little bit of a, more of a sticky widget. Uh, it definitely is because obviously that, maybe not obviously, but you know, nutrition, there's so many things you can pull at and, you know, areas to tug at and so many things that you attach to, whether it's low carb, low fat, so on and so forth. So that's, those, those are very sticky. Like you said, I, you know, I view it as, I view time management as a prime. I mean, you basically said this to a degree, but it's priority management is really what we're talking about. Are you actually, right. Are you doing the things that you say are important to you? And if you actually track your time, over the course of a week or a couple of weeks, you'll figure out very quickly if you're actually doing those things and how much of them you're doing. So, you know, tracking, I think, is a big part of understanding that. But um, but the nutrition part definitely, I think, is challenging to people because, like you said, there's there's just so many different things that you can pull at when it comes to that. So that, that part's tough. Yeah, and, and I would note that, you know, nutrition also has a time management piece, right? As you were saying earlier, for example, the person that, you know, wakes up late, they didn't have things planned. Well, again, we run into time management issues, and I get that. It's, like, hard, you know, because you have to figure out how to make this work, and it's, like, you're, you're working a time, it's your day off, and, like, you don't want to go grocery shopping, you don't want to cook foods, and, you know, it's a little bit easier, I think, if, if frankly, one has a certain amount of resources, and professional success, because that's another thing you can outsource a lot of that, right? You can get your foods prepared for you. You can, you know, most of us have delivery apps, even the most markets in today's day and age, you don't have to have to go to the grocery store if you have the resources. That in many cases is actually going to be good use of your time is unless you like going to the grocery store, which some people do. Um, if you're strapped, that might not be the best thing for you. It might be to save the 30, 45 minutes and just have it show up at your door. But it still requires planning, right? Because part of time management is thinking through in advance what should happen when. And then, of course, a separate issue is having the fortitude to do the thing that, you know, you, you, you know you need to do, even if you maybe don't feel so much like doing it, right? Because even when you're thinking about a day of nutrition, the way I often think about this when I'm thinking about organizing fitness for a week or a day is that workouts are best understood in the context of a week. Right. And you're super hack there. If you're the person that your day always blows up, then you probably want to get that done first thing in the morning, you know, and then then sometimes you have the Solomon's baby. You're like, well, I'm not quite getting enough sleep and I'm not working out. What do I choose here? Well, on the answer is it depends. If you can go to bed earlier, right, that's probably the better move anyway. Just like get sleep on the front end, get up and get the workout in. Because in practice, a lot of people, their lives shake out such that evening workouts are always going to be at threat. Now, nutrition is probably best thought of not so much over the week, though that's probably not bad to do some planning for things like perhaps grocery shopping and food prep. But nutrition is usually going to be a losing battle unless you have some sense what's going to happen the night before. 
and most of us have some control over our schedule. Even somebody who has a, a schedule, a professional or a personal life is very, very active, usually has some sense of what's going to happen. And even if they know that their day does not shake out in a very regimented way day to day, and they're going to require a lot of flexibility, that too can be addressed through proper strategy, right? But it won't be addressed if it's done in a reactive way. So it requires some forethought. It requires some planning. Uh, and sort of harking back to one of our first conversations, it's, you, know, you want to make it easy to do the right thing, right? And I think your other pro tip there that I love, one of my favorite health and fitness interventions, um, interventions, kind of an academic term, which is like a favorite um, exercise that you can do is think in advance, just write down, take it on a piece of paper, what are, you know, maybe the three most likely reasons why you're not going to eat the way that you plan to eat, or maybe the three most likely reasons why you're not actually going to get to your workout. Well, my bet is certainly there's going to be some unknown unknowns, but I bet you have a lot of known problems and even some, you know, known categories of unknowns. Right. And if you just think in advance, like if my boss keeps me late, then dot, dot, dot. And that's exactly how this particular intervention is done. I believe it's called an implementation intervention uh, attribution to Kelly McGonigal. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, this is a, a giving attribution to uh, Kelly McGonigal, who's a professor, I think, at Stanford. And essentially, you just think through, OK, if this scenario that I anticipate is going to get in my way is going to happen, then I will do the duper duper duper. And like many of these sort of frameworks, it's deceptively powerful because it seems like almost like why even kind of think through it? Well, because here's the thing. In the real world, what happens is your brain will not automatically do the right thing. You don't have a plan. So you're like, ah, now what? I tacos. And like, that's fine. Like, you know, again, I'm not here to make any of this right or wrong. Do what you want to do with your life. But if this is important to you, it wouldn't be that hard and probably a very great investment of time to think through. If my boss keeps me late, then I do this other thing. If I am forced to take a meal that goes through lunch, then I yoop a do Because some of those thens, not only number one, are we taking away having to make a decision because you don't have to, you've already decided, you pre-decided. If this happens, then I do this, click work. But in addition to having pre-decided, functionally to operationalize that, you're gonna often need to do some planning, right? Because if some of those things are, if my, my boss keeps me through lunch, I have to work late, then I'm gonna eat, whatever, the nuts and the protein bar I always keep is I have an emergency box of protein bar and an emergency thing of nuts under my desk. Is it like my favorite, best possible meal in the world? Maybe not, but at least it gives me something. I don't have to think about it. I don't have to panic. I don't have to skip a meal, be starved, and then uh, you know make a decision I'm not proud of because I'm just completely ready to eat from my desk by the end of the day, et cetera, et cetera. So highly recommend listeners give that a whirl if they've not played that game before. Yeah, protecting the downside is just something that I don't think many of us do, especially I think in health and fitness. Maybe we do in certain areas, you know, we go and take our cars, cars for maintenance regularly. So that's protecting your downside to a degree, but we don't do it to ourselves to make sure that we're set up for success. So I, I like that a lot. Speaking of Kelly McGonigal, I appreciate your outlook also on personal development that during that same time management workshop, you it ended the workshop. This is how impactful this was because I actually vividly remember it. You ended the workshop with the importance of developing yourself ongoing. Um, and a lot of people look at that as a waste of time might be a strong way to put it, but I don't think that it is a stretch 
um, a lot of people just look at it as something that's like not maybe, you know, they have better things that they could put their time into. So what is your mindset on personal development and how do we go about starting to build that into our lives? Yeah, so I am very driven to personal development. I'll, I'll maybe start by conceding some of the dark sides of this particular path, right? Because I think, uh, you know, there's a straw man argument that says that, to, you know, why you'd be an idiot to be anti-personal development. Why wouldn't you want to grow? And, and I want to make space, like, kind of the steel man on the other side, which is to say, like, well, because we're not a human doing. We're a human being. And I think it can be a trap to a certain type of achievement-oriented uh, individual. And I'm clearly, I'm you know, calling out myself here, where so much of our self-worth is tied up in uh, our skills and what we can do for other people and how we contribute. And you know, I gotta say, like there is a lot of benefit to having at least part of your life be devoted to just being present with your loved ones, right? And just being you know, being a human and just being able to be still. And I, and I love all that, right? And I'm going to say, like, that's great for a space of your life. I would just note that we probably need some of both. That if you're not growing, that also presents an issue, right? So, you know, it's maybe not the whole story, but I think the Earl Nightingale quote is part of the story, which is to say that happiness is a progressive realization of a worthy goal or ideal. Right. And this implies some kind of progress. And I think broadly, this is true. Right. So if you look at my favorite model, what I think is probably the most evidence based model right now of what uh, could be called human flourishing, which was developed by Martin Seligman and outlined in a great book called Flourish, is a, a modeled in an acronym he uses PERMA, which is to say that flourishing is five pieces it's positive emotion, engagement relationships, meaning, and achievement. Positive emotion is uh, just that, right? It's, it's not happy. Oh, my baby fell. Okay, she's gonna get love from mama though. And then she's gonna heal if the babies do. So, so P, yeah, P is positive emotion. And it's important to know positive emotion or what a lot of people when they think of, they think of happiness, like, like half of that is like genetics, Right. Some of it's just circumstantial. And admittedly, some of it is like the way you choose to look at the world. So that matters. But like the, the feeling of happiness, the biochemical happiness, it's really only one part of flourishing. You also have engagement, which is the, the, these flow states where we're at one with our work and our skill sets are matched perfectly against the challenge. It's neither too easy nor too challenging. We have relationships, uh, a, you know, a feeling of caring for others and feeling cared for, right? Being a part of a, a community, a family, of friendships, even in service relationships. You have meaning. Am I contributing to something that is bigger than me, something that is larger than me? Then you have achievement, right? Achievement, again, speaks back to, am I seeing progress? Am I, am I achieving my goals, right? And they all matter, right? And we think about personal development. I offer, it's a great platform really for all of them, even for positive emotion. Some percentage of that, maybe don't know for sure, it's maybe even silly, maybe try to put exact percentages to it, but some percentage of that is how we choose to look at the world. And it is possible to change the way we look at the world. And the more elegant we are with our framing, the less we suffer, and the more we're able to show up 
with love and kindness and enthusiasm and uh, equanimity for around us. And we go back to that first comment, right? We're all social animals, just as other people are impacting us. You are also very contagious. You're a very contagious person, listener. You're rubbing off and you're bleeding all over everyone, your vibes, right? So now, that's not to say that we should always be in a good mood all the time, but if we can take some accountability for our role in how we feel, that strikes me as useful. And I think that's part of personal development. You look at relationships, well, let's start with keeping in the order. Let's look at engagement. Similarly, personal development is about various skill sets, right? How we're showing up, right? You might say, Personal development and professional development are both, right? Personal development is maybe more directly in the domain of how I'm, I'm looking at the world. And to some extent, I think these broader models of things like time management, a lot of what we're talking about today, professional development, this skill acquisition allows us to create these opportunities for flow states, this really beautiful, unique engagement that only comes when we're interacting with the challenge with the appropriate match for our skills. And you have relationships, right? So relationships are also facilitated by personal development. It's much easier to be in community when you've worked on your stuff, right? If you haven't worked on your stuff and you're just walking around with a bunch of unhealed wounds and traumas, just bleeding all over everyone around you, I'll have a lot of compassion for you, but go back to that first conversation, I might not want to spend a ton of time with you, right? If you're paying me money, I might not take your money, right? And then you have meaning, right? Are we able to contribute to something that is larger than ourselves, their mission that we're contributing to that fills us up. And then of course, again, you have achievement, the progressive realization of a worthy goal or idea, right? So this is a long way of saying that to my mind, I just can't think of a better use of our time than professional and or personal and professional development. I think for me, those two are pretty interlinked because as you can probably tell, my work is a big part of my life. It's not just my uh, intellectual interest, though it is, it really is something I feel like is my calling. Because I, if I were to sum it down to this, I'll give you one more model that I personally look at the same, is I seek every day to be a student and a servant. And that for me is happiness. I want to be students of the world. I want to be students of other humans. I want to be student of myself. I want to be curious. I want to acquire skills. And then I want to be a servant. I want to leverage that knowledge, those skills, those uh, things that I have learned to contribute and make impact on other people in ways that are hopefully like a net net positive, right? Because it strikes me that to, to attempt to be a servant to the world without spending much time developing your own skills and developing yourself means you're just not going to be as impactful. And that's not wrong, but well, gosh, if we're going to do it, let's do it. We only get to be in the meat bag for so long. Let's go. Conversely, if you're a, the forever student, but you're never actually showing up and stepping, you know, and, and pick your you know, cliche, uh, somewhat corny metaphor here, step into the arena, you know, whatever you want to take there, right? If you're never actually putting yourself out there, shipping your work, then why then were we real learning, right? Well, then it does seem sort of, I'm not clear on necessarily the value. I mean, I guess there's intrinsic value about learning. So while I think intrinsic value is a part of this, I guess maybe I'll sort of all end there and anchor it with that sort of long diatribe about what I think the purpose of life is. <laughs> is at some point it has to be uh, interdependent, not purely other focus, you're a part of it, but at least interdependent. Yeah, I think, I mean, that's the top of Maslow's hierarchy, right? Self-transcendence is, is the top. It's the last portion of that. And I think that a lot of people don't allow themselves to get to that part for, for whatever reason, whether they're, you know, you get, everyone has stuff going on in their lives. So it's, it's for whatever, whatever reason. Um, but, Self-transcendence is definitely like, 
I don't know that. I, I think like some people, I feel like some people are born, not born. Maybe that's not the, sh the right way to put it. They catch that quicker. I like, I believe that you cat caught that quicker. You caught that bug quicker than a lot of people. And so a lot of people have a hard time understanding that. Whereas a lot of people maybe don't get to that level until their fifties or so. And for whatever reason that is life, families, fast in the career, whatever that whirlwind is that they're caught up in, um, they just have a hard time understanding the importance of servant work, maybe not servant work. Yeah, and, and I think it's it's tough too, right? Because here, here's the other thing too that I think could be either depressing or freeing, depending on what you look at, is like, I don't know that anybody actually gets 100% right. Right, like you can only get uh, to the balance that you're comfortable with because once again, we go back to time is the ultimate constraint, and time is the functional units of love. Time, love exists in time through acts of service, through time, through all sorts of ways that we can express love, and I mean that like the biggest, uh, most expansive, generous sense of the word, and. One thing that is interesting, again, particularly this interesting moment in my life, this messy middle, which I'm having a great time in, but it's like not without moments of fraud. Like, am I doing it right? Am I doing it right? Is, you know, you have all of, you have all of these people that you could potentially be of service to, right? You have, you know, first of all, you need some time for yourself, right? And we know that's a lot of work we do in fitness as an individual is, you know, not putting their own oxygen mask off first. They're cutting their face to spite the nose. So they're, you know, maybe working nonstop and they're making money in a way that's jeopardizing their health. It's cutting off decades of quality life that they will now not be able to give their loved ones, ostensibly because I'm creating this beautiful life for my family who I'm spending no time with while sacrificing my health. Well, that's kind of tough, right? Then, you know, you can have somebody that doesn't take care of themselves at all and is fully focused on the family, but is oblivious to the impact they might have on the larger community or the society at large. I'm not suggesting that every single person needs to change the fate of the human race, right? But I do think that, again, it, depending on the way you would look at this model, there's somebody who said for like in a perfect world, we would all find ways we can contribute to the broader society. We'd all find ways we can contribute to the family, all find ways to contribute to ourselves. I think there's an alternative view that I'll give voice to, which I don't maybe agree with 100% that says, no, you actually don't really owe anything to anybody. And there's only one of you ever, and we're just meat suits. And like your real obligations yourself and maybe your family, like that's plenty. And like everybody else, like that's that's not your problem. I, I struggle with that one. I, I have to say, like, I feel like, and maybe that's like a, a inner uh, narcissist, you, Amy Mac, that's like, no, I think I can make a bigger swing, you know? And if anything, the, you know, the demons keep me awake at sometimes. And again, I'm feeling good. Like I still have some time here, but I don't have forever, right? And even if I have 50 more years, it's that's not an unlimited amount of time, right? It's like, I'm constantly in dialogue about like, am I using my time properly? And I think I do that pretty well. I actually think that's the skills that I have. I think I'm, I have been blessed and or have created like the core for what for me feels at least internally my lived experience like the right amount of urgency where like I'm, I'm curious, I'm thinking about it, I'm being introspective about it, I'm course correcting, but I'm not like crippled with like, am I doing it right? Am I doing it right? You know, because like right now, like, yeah, I think like oftentimes like, I'm very happy with what I'm doing professionally, I'm very happy with my, my personal life. I'm, I take great care of myself. I have a really wonderful 
great relationship with my wife and like my little baby daughter just saving all of it. I love the work I get to do with my clients. And yeah, I don't know. Like obviously we've had a big winding conversation. You know, I, I have a, an inclination that perhaps eventually there's a way I can maybe contribute in a different and maybe more universally applicable and bigger way than a lot of what I do professionally, which is quite frankly, uh, you know, being paid by gym owners to tell them like, oh, you don't have any leads? Have you tried marketing? Marketing. Why don't you try marketing? Oh, you tried marketing? You got clients? Well, that's great. You know, and again, I'm being flippant. I love that. It's obviously much more nuanced than that. There's obviously, there's, there's, you know, in fact, tactically, that's maybe like, it's maybe literally how the conversation goes. But, you know, as you all know, there's, there's an energetic component to that of service uh, and of connection and of helping when someone is stuck. That even if like, flippantly, we could say, that's oh, just market. There's somebody said for like, somebody's like hurting or like they want to achieve further potential and they just needed that unlock. And that's part of what I think is so impactful, right? The same with our work we do with clients when it comes to fitness stuff, right? It's that opportunity of like, this person wants this thing and they're either hurting because they do not have it or they're just excited about the possibility of it and who they can be and how that'll impact the world and ripple out. And that's very, very gratifying, right? And, and I don't know, some days when I wake up, I feel like that's sufficient. And there's other days where like, I don't know, I wonder where else this could go. So we'll see. We'll see, Jerry and listeners at the Good Wolf Radio. Maybe one day uh, you'll read a book and it'll have like, nothing to do with the business of fitness or even nutrition. <laughs> well, uh, that'll be a different world if, if or when that happens. So um, we are coming up on time. I will ask you one last question and you can keep it as short as possible. Um, well, you can keep it as short as you want. Maybe it's a better way to put that. Um, you said urgent. <laughs> Maybe you will. It's totally up to you. Um, <laughs> you said urgency in there. And I believe that urgency is a big reason why most people don't move forward with, again, whatever goal they're trying to go after. Mark Fisher, how do you create urgency? Yeah. So, you know, first of all, I think this is a relatively new distinction for me because in the entrepreneur space, they often talk about bias for action. It's interesting. I don't know if you've seen me do anything on this recently, Jerry, but this, this wouldn't have been a thing I would have known six years ago because it's really in the past six months. I was like, oh, which is in my experience, the people that really take a big fat swing at life do not ask them. They ask themselves, what is the earliest I can get this thing done? Right. So this is often called bias for action. It's moving with urgency, right? And again, that can be compulsive. You can go too far with that. My experience, that's the less common problem. The more common problem I see is instead of asking what's the earliest I can get this done, when people have a given task or a given goal or a given to-do item, they ask, what is the latest I can possibly get this done while narrowly avoiding the possibility that my house burns down, my spouse divorces me, I lose my job, and I become bankrupt? And that's a normal thing, right? So anybody listening, it's either from like, oh, my gosh, me. Like, that's okay. It's normal. You're, you're normal. Congrats. You're a human. You must be a human. Then good for you. We know you're not a robot, right? But admittedly, I think people would succeed. Well, I think the more you can change that and focus in the other box, right? And be like, what's the earliest I get this done? The better off you'd be. So to answer your question, what is it that gives that urgency? You know, again, the obvious answer I'll start with is I don't know, right? I think you know, people are like, complicated right um but i do think answering for me personally is a relationship with my mortality right i had some really intense brushes with death at like the, just a very intense age 
some very intense things happened to me early on. I think I'm frankly trend to be a little bit neurotic and people that are neurotic on balance, I think tend to have a little bit more awareness of mortality on a day-to-day basis. It's something that I think that drives a lot of neurotic, neur- neurosis and anxiety among a lot of type A people. The sense of like, am I going to get it done? It's going to be done. And he's like, am I going to get it done? Right. And I think, listen, similarly, to that first question that can go too far. Right, that can be really, really unhelpful. You can be very unconscious. You can be very, you can be date harmful to the people around you if you are just sprinting like you're running out of time all the time in your life. But at the same time, I think it is is maybe equally unhelpful if you're always on the backs of your heels and not having any urgency. So perhaps uh, there's a different word, and I'd have to maybe think on this more than my brain is coming here at the end of the day. Because urgency almost has an implication of harried. Where there's almost a, a connotation of um, not necessarily pan, right? Urgent doesn't mean panic by any means. But I, I'm looking for something that's, I think, more positive. And maybe it's like intentional, right? Maybe like intentional, sort of like the sweet spot, right? Because again, urgent can imply like, oh, there's a deadline, I gotta get it done. And what we're talking about is moving confidently in the direction of your dreams so that you're living your wild and precious life well. So at the end of your time in your meat suit, the final thing you say is, I did it. Yes. Bang. I did it. Right. And I think that's really kind of what we're all hoping for. And that's going to look very different to different humans. But that for me is like the aim. Right. And I'll tell you what, I, you know, I hope I don't die tomorrow, but God forbid if I did and you're by some freakish thing and this becomes a very emotional podcast, my friends and family listen to you and be like, oh, that's like the last podcast Mark did, you know. You can rest assured, I'm stoked. I feel good. I feel like I got some of everything. I did the thing. I did the, like, I got a lot of the things. I got incredible amounts, right? Again, I hope I get so, so much more. I think, honestly, when I was younger, it would be harder for me to do that because I'd have been, there's still so much I need to do. And right now, yeah, I hope I get 60 more years of this. Like, I'm loving this. I want to keep going. And uh, I feel so grateful for how things have gone. And, you know, maybe that's why as people get older, they chill out a little bit because there's like, okay, like I did a lot of the things. I didn't do all the things, but I did a lot of the things. And I got, you know, uh, enough to feel deeply grateful with my slice of pie. Life is a lot in the universe. Very good. I did a lot of the things. I like that. Uh, very good distinction there, Mark. I, I like that. Uh, Mark, appreciate your time. Thanks so much for everything. Uh, where can people follow you? Yes. Well, uh, you can follow me at, uh, if you follow me on the Instagram, you can go to Mark Fisher's Human Being and you will only see pictures of my daughter. Um, I think the best place for people to, to actually follow me if they're interested in any of my shenanigans, if they do business stuff, they can go to the URL markfisheryoutube.com and they'll send it to my YouTube channel where I talk about the business of fitness and gems. Having said that, let me let you in on a secret. It like doesn't have anything to do with like gyms. I say the word gym owner a lot, but it's just business principles. So they, they don't really change all that much. And in fact, the, the sort of unofficial tagline of that channel is actual tips, psychological frameworks and philosophy. So in fact, a lot of the bent of this conversation, it's not always quite, it's a little bit more tactical, Frank. This was a little, I think more abstract. Um, so people who are interested can go and check that out. Uh, and if generally they want to know what I'm up to or the various business ventures I have, they can go to the URL markfisherhumanbeing.com where they will find various pictures of me that they cannot see and that are not really safe for most work environments. 
user beware. Fair enough. Mark, thanks for your time. I appreciate it so much. A lot of good knowledge today. My pleasure. Appreciate you, Jerry. Thanks, Mark. Take care, brother. Awesome, man. Thanks so much, buddy.